We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. The Telegraph Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. We are now just days away from the beginning of the 2019 Women's World Cup in France and what better way to look forward to the tournament than with some great podding and even better casting. Today, how worried should we be about England? Is Phil Neville keeping team selection secrets from us? And is his team being built around the right players? We'll explore beyond the nation of England too by asking our panel which teams they'll be looking out for this summer and give the runners and riders a thorough examination with our own Katie Wyatt. Plus, adverts, Hits, documentaries, and a Brazilian legend who should probably be thinking about giving it all up. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by the host of the Offside Rule podcast, Kate Borsay. How are you, Kate? I'm very well, thank you. Warming up for this World Cup. I almost feel like I should be out there playing myself. Uh, What's your excuse? (laughs) Just not good enough. I just didn't make the grade. I chatted to Phil Neville at huge length about whether I could take part or not. And he said that at uh, 40, I'd be breaking a record I didn't want to break. <laughs> Who would you have wanted to have announced that you were in the squad in the celebrity uh, announcement Ah, yes, those game? lovely announcements. Um, well, I think for me, it would have to be John Barnes. Ah, good choice. Because I'm a Liverpool fan and he's my hero. Alongside you, comedian Ella Woods. How are you, Ella? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. I'm now just thinking about John Barnes announcing my name. In any <laughs> respect, it would be incredible. Yeah. If he could do it in a World in Motion style rap, obviously. Yeah, he seems to be quite keen on doing the rapping. He was doing a bit of that at the weekend. Yes, in, he was. Champions League final. Yeah. Which we won. Isn't Thanks. We? <laughs> Liverpool. Deary that was all me. UK. We know. Deary me. <laughs> Finally, a return to the audio recording facility after a longer than we would both like absence. It's JJ Bull. How are you, JJ? I'm good, Tom. I had a nice weekend away out of the country. Oh, wow. Yes. Did you watch the Champions League final? I did watch the Champions League final and it wasn't amazing, was it? No, no. So let's move on from that completely. Let's forget about all men's football and concentrate on the forthcoming Women's World Cup, which begins this Friday. But let's first talk about England. It was a bit of a disaster, Kate, in their first warm-up game, uh, final warm-up game, I should say, losing to New Zealand in Brighton. What happened? Well, I think disaster's a bit strong, Tom, but (laughs) it's important that we're honest and just take it on a game-by-game basis, right? Because that is parity. Um, They looked disjointed. They lacked that cohesion. And and it's not as if they didn't demonstrate that they couldn't pass freely enough. They can, but passing's great as long as it amounts to something. And that was the problem. There were chances created in the first half against New Zealand in front of that 20,000-strong crowd at the Amex Stadium in Brighton. And all those chances were wasted in the first half. In the second half... When they fell behind to New Zealand, uh, who scored on only their second attack of the game and we couldn't get anything past them. We were unable to create a way through that. So it's thoroughly frustrating as a fan and as a pundit to watch that game. And it does raise bigger questions as to shouldn't we be a little further along in terms of knowing where 
which players are going to be in our key positions, particularly defensively and with the goalkeeper as well. Shouldn't we be a little further along with that? We're impatient. We want to see England do well. But that result may have just illustrated how perhaps hype, expectation, overtiredness amongst some of the younger players perhaps is having an effect. Right, that's one of the things that is being levelled at Neville that he doesn't know his best eleven, And I'm not sure that's necessarily all that valid in modern football. I, I don't know if I subscribe to the idea that you need a best eleven. I think it's horses for courses a lot of the time, isn't it? But has he figured it out yet? Do you think he, in his mind, do you think he knows who he's going to be playing against Scotland in the opening game? He says he does know who's playing against Scotland. He would say that though, wouldn't he? And, he? and he hasn't told the players yet. But he's also said that he is going to rotate through those group games. So don't expect the team against Scotland even to be that nailed on side. And a lot of my journo friends, you know, are asking this as well. Where are the key players? And actually having spoken to an ex-Lioness today, Claire Rafferty, she was one of the standout defenders in the World Cup in 2015. In central defence, you had Laura Bassett and Steph Horton and then Lucy Bronze and Claire Rafferty came in at fullback, very quickly established themselves. And that back four was solid. And when you play in defence, as we football fans know, you trust, trust and knowledge of your fellow defenders is so important. And that provides the foundation for the team along with the goalkeeper. And when we don't have that, when we don't look like we have that, and and uh, the players who are contenders there in terms of Millie Bright and Steph Horton playing together, when they've not played together very much at all in the run-up to this World Cup, that's where we have to be a little bit worried. Quite. You were there, Ella. I was there, On yeah. Saturday. What was, what was the mood like? I assume it was very excited to begin with and then maybe not quite like that by the end. <laughs> I would say that's, that's it in a nutshell. I mean, the atmosphere when we got there, so I went... Uh, to the Amex with my whole family bar my brother so my mum my dad two of my sisters my dad and my younger sister are regular goers to the Amex to see the Seagulls my mum hadn't been to a football game since the 70s so <laughs> it was really nice to go with her and I managed to get tickets pretty early doors so we were sort of west and lower right on the pitch incredible seats you know we had sort of you know Jill Scott Georgia Stanway warming up in front of us it was really incredible and the whole thing was sold out pretty much, you know, I mean, 20,000 plus people. It was such a great atmosphere. My dad and my sisters are a bit slower on the uptakes. They were up in the gods, which was a personal highlight for me. But <laughs> it was tricky because, as you said, you know, it started off with all of this optimism and it felt really exciting. And you had so many kids around us, mm. you know, and every time it would go a little bit quiet, you'd hear a, come on, England. Mm. And it just made your heart break. And then watching time after time us take it down get it in the box and then just nothing happened you know it was it was disappointing and you felt the atmosphere kind of go especially when that New Zealand goal came in oh, it was so yes. quick in the second half and we just my mum turned to me and she just said it is just football isn't it I was <laughs> like yeah as in sometimes it's really good and sometimes it's just football and you've got to deal with it even though we didn't win, you know, she loved it. I loved it. And to see all of those kids there, all the little girls there who'd made their sort of handmade signs, their handmade T-shirts, everything, it was just magical. So hopefully we can go quite far in the tournament and, you know, keep that uh, that spirit alive. Do you think your mum would go back? Did she enjoy it more than her 70s experience? Oh, yeah, big time. <laughs> Definitely, good. yeah. I got her in a flag. We got some face paint given to us. I mean, we were covered you went in, for it I really went for it which was an embarrassing walk home but yeah all in all I think she would go back and I certainly would go back and she she just kept saying it was really powerful actually for her to see how far it had come you know all of these kids who are sitting there watching and not thinking oh well that's 
nice to see that, but that will never be me that think, yeah, I could be that. Great. Really, really good. Good stuff. Let's look ahead now to England's first game against Scotland at five o'clock this coming Sunday. How's it going to go, JJ? Well, it's a funny one because... It's a a revenge game for Scotland, isn't it, when you look back on the last Euros? Yeah, Scotland got done 6-0 in the last time in the European Championships and it was fairly horrible to watch. Uh, Some just terrible, terrible defending from Scotland throughout the game and just fell apart. And it's something that I think... Scotland should be able to do much better with this time. We're not missing so many. I shouldn't say we. So Scotland are missing so many players. <laughs> uh, Kim this. Little. Well, I think people have figured that out. Well, the problem is that like, Kim Little. When you, uh, <laughs> Kim Little's um, obviously there. Erin Cuthbert looks like she's on form. She had an absolute pinger against Jamaica the other week. And, and again, like um, Hamden had a, its record ever a women's football attendance. I think it was the four times original record about eighteen thousand the other day against Jamaica. It was really good, mm. uh, and that was a good game. And I thought Scotland looked good, even though letting two kind of silly goals. I'd say. The passing looked good, fast, they looked decent. And you look at past results going into this game, Scotland uh, have beaten Jamaica in the friendly. They also beat Brazil 1-0, and Brazil are very good at the old football. Um, <laughs> although Scotland are, I think, ranked 20th in the world, I think, at the moment. And they're really, out, really outside for this tournament, about 150 to 1. But when you don't have the better players, you often sit back, sort of like how New Zealand had to against England, and then, then you frustrate them. And if you don't have great creative players, it doesn't matter who you've got up front, say that you've got Taylor looking for sniffs of goal up front, you need to have creative players in behind to have that. And England have a lot of pace and, and a lot of that, but if you're sitting deep, you can't really use your pace so much. So it really depends how I think both teams adapt to after kickoff. Like If you go into it and you are really nervous and your passing goes awry, straight away nerves build, and it could become a problem. But I think Scotland could do something. Ooh. What about the Lionesses documentary? Did you see it, Ella? Did you enjoy watching that on BBC this week? I did see it. I did enjoy it. I felt like it was a bit of a mashup between two documentaries, a sort of fly-on-the-wall piece about Phil Neville and then an Alex Scott-fronted piece about the players. And I just sort of, you know, especially when it sort of starts, the first couple of minutes warming you into the whole thing was all about Phil Neville. And I thought, I've been sort of missold here. And then I did find some of it really lovely. You know, the Millie Bright School visit. I found, um, you know, Lucy Bronze. Actually, I've never really seen her interviewed. So seeing how shy she was and, you know, she's such a transformation from her on the pitch versus her in person. That was fascinating, you know. But there were bits where I thought, I mean, the Nikita Paris interview on the way to a media training session, what was that? You know, it was... (laughs) So quick, there was barely anything from Steph Horton. You know, the the piece with Leah Williamson, really interesting on the shoot and all of that. That was fascinating, but there just felt like it was a bit of a missed opportunity, if I'm honest. I felt like it wasn't highlighting the profile of the players themselves enough and their personal journeys. Some of them, you know, Jill Scott, you heard some really interesting bits, Karen Carney, but I just felt it was missing a bit of something. And I also, I don't know why it was that much. I know why it was focused so much on Phil, but... I just think for a Lionesses documentary, focus more on the Lionesses and make more of Alex Scott. She's an incredible presenter, in my eyes, anyway. I, yeah, that was my thoughts. Are they doing enough to get the stories of the players out, Kate? Do you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go Yawnsville a bit here, actually, which is maybe slightly con- controversial. But how, in 2015 and for this World Cup and to some extent the European Championships in 2017 as well, you know, we are sold on the team because of their backstories. And we hear loads of loads of strong stuff, whether it's um, Frank Kirby losing her mum, whether it's someone like um, Farrah Williams, who was, who was homeless for a while. Um, there are loads of stories behind these players. Um, and if you go onto any YouTube channel, you look at 
Continental or any of the sponsors, you will find loads of this rich content. So I kind of understand why we didn't get so much of it. What I hadn't heard so much actually about was Jill Scott's journey. She's not someone who's normally profiled. Normally it's those people, you know, with those with those key journeys. Millie Bright's another one, you know, really interesting story. So I'm glad it didn't um, it didn't rest too much on it being just about the stories of the players. They looked at the performances, they looked at the manager, and like it or not, Phil Neville is one of the England team that other opposition countries are going to be talking about. He's an internationally, worldwide recognised name because of his career at Manchester United. And because he's come from such a high-profile men's career and then men's coaching into the women's game, people are going to be watching him. So I, I actually, I thought it was fair... It, it, Totally fair enough that it focused on him. Um, I was pretty surprised that Leah Williamson was still studying accountancy. I was mm. I was pretty impressed by that, Leah. Um, well, I she liked that. She didn't give the impression that she was confident at all that she was getting into the squad. They, I mean, they tried that to put yeah, her in the Yeah, yes, really nice. And I also thought it was interesting because they probably filmed tons more stuff perhaps with players who weren't selected. So you could sort of see, like Nikita Paris, for example, who knew perhaps at the time when they were filming with her that she was quite going to have such a standout season. Perhaps she wasn't available. It's hard to know with timing, trying to get England to sign off all this filming as well in terms of the FA. So you did see a few glaring omissions. We didn't hear anything from Jodie Taylor, I assume, because... The, the producers thought, look, she might not get in the squad. She's had that huge injury. We didn't really hear much from Tony Duggan. We heard lo- loads from Alex Greenwood. Um, so, yeah, so they, I think it's it's so hard, isn't it, to try and make an evenly distributed documentary. But, you know, having slated England against New Zealand, it did make me feel a bit more enthusiastic about the whole thing again. Good, good. Let's get away from England now and look forward to the first game of the World Cup, which is France versus South Korea on Friday night. What can you tell us about this game, Kate? What should we be looking out for? Well, all eyes on France, you know, as the hosts. Um, Loads of expectation there in the country. But I I have to say there is a little question mark as to... It may may look great on social media. They're doing stuff like championing female referees within Liga, within the professional men's game. Um, But... Are there any? There there has been one one appearance, or perhaps one referee... um, who has um, who has refed a league game as part of the build up to this World Cup? Um, the French top league is not a professional one, not a fully professional one. So there's stuff going on in front of the camera and stuff going on behind the camera, and just be aware of that. The French team's made up, um, for the most part, of a whole bunch of superstars from Lyon, who, as we know, won the Women's Champions League and are just massively awesome at football. They just there's just no beating them. They are exceptional. Exceptional. Um, <laughs> oh, just, uh, I, I, I don't even know if that's the way you say it in French, but it sounds good, <laughs> right? Formidable. Formidable. Um, bon. So yeah, so, yeah, très bon. Um, so, so the issue with this French team, okay, you've got a whole load of Lyon superstars who are, you know, hugely important, and then you've got the rest of the team. And so, how well do those Lyon superstars? And there's there could be, you know, up to six, seven or eight within within the team. Um, how well do they gel with the other players? There are some superstars there, central defender Wendy Renard, defensive midfielder Amandine Andre, um, and they're, of course, backed up front with Eugenie Le Sommer, who's perhaps the most consistent player for France in attacking mid or in, um, or in that striker position. So they're a really well-balanced team. They're a team of superstars. Can the coach, Corinne Diacre, make that team of superstars 
gel into a cohesive unit. That's what we don't know, and that's the biggest test. I'm sure we'll get a good sense of it after Friday night. What about the other fixtures in the opening round of group games, JJ? What are you looking forward to most? Um, well, I like watching individual players as opposed to teams. I mean, it's nice watching teams and that, but um, I, <laughs> I like when you have a lot of skillful players who are able to pull off stuff. I loved watching Holland at the at the Euros before, so I'm looking forward to watching them. Um, I really want to watch players uh, like Alex Morgan and Tobin Heath in the USA. I like watching those girls, and uh, I just I'm looking forward most of all to the Scotland England game, and I really want Scotland to do well in this tournament because it's the only thing that Scotland could possibly ever win at football ever again. <laughs> <laughs> so if uh, if Scotland can do something this tournament, it would just be, I mean, there's so much more pride and um, I think, the, yeah, excitement in the women's team than there is in the men's at the moment, despite all changes of manager and everything, that I think there'll be a lot of interest um, at my home for people watching that. And that it, watching them, for me, is the special things I'm sure the England fans have for England. But I like watching uh, really talented players do special things in games. So what about you, Ella? Where are you going to be watching the games, uh, the first set of games? I mean, wherever will have me, to be honest. <laughs> um, I am very excited about, there's a couple of great initiatives going on. Um, there's something called the Festival of Football, which is uh, based in East London um, and is working really closely with a place called the Book Club, which is traditionally a very sort of trendy bar but they are showing all the women's games which is great as a big commitment I know Sorry, laugh has, at me Tom has your mum also come on the bar. podcast as yes, well as going has. to the weekend game my mum would be cringing at me saying that <laughs> um, but I think it's really exciting you know there's and there's a lot of pubs around there's a lot of websites we can find out where you know the games are being played and a friend of mine looked it up the other day and we were so actually surprised by the amount of places showing the women's game which is fantastic you know we watched all of the men's games last year in various uh, trendy pubs. There we go. Just getting it in again. Um, yeah, and it'll be it'll be great. I'll be watching wherever will have me. Do we get the sense that the public as a whole knows this tournament's happening? I mean, this time last year there was a lot of bunting about. I haven't seen much bunting yet so far this summer. <laughs> it's a lot of uh, adverts. But aren't we it? do have a Nike advert, of course. Like, yeah. and that, that's that's the hallmark of a World Cup coming, and, and it's a very exciting advert. But well, what's your view on the sort of temperature overall around the country? It, it's a bigger deal than it was four years ago. We can say that. We definitely can, and I think with stuff like the like the Panini sticker album, that's that's certainly caught caught the imagination of a few fans. When I speak to people, and I'm talking about kind of fellow mums at my daughter and son's school, you know, who who aren't necessarily sort of avid football fans, they do know it's going on. I think it's going to take the tournament to start for them to engage and and perhaps for them to watch games. And actually, the the England Scotland game, you know, ideal really. It's perfect for that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's on at the weekend. Nicely absolutely timed nicely well. timed. It's going to be absolutely perfect for that. Um, so I think you are definitely seeing a whole host more media coverage. Um, you are seeing, um, you know, huge supplements in the Telegraph and in the Guardian. Several other papers really backing this. You've got papers sending more journalists than ever before. So one thing's for sure: there will be more coverage on this tournament than there ever has been before for a Women's World Cup. On the street, we've got to make sure that people are watching the games. We've got to make sure people are very simply aware of what's going on and when. Yep, fair point. What about that Nike ad for Ella? Are you having it? Are you excited by the by oh. the kind multinational company throwing its weight behind uh, women's football? I mean, football? did I almost weep at it? Yes, I did. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. I find I am a bit uh, concerned, I think, as you say, by the lack of bunting. You know, I think there is a lot of people throwing their weight behind it. There are a lot of corporations throwing their weight behind it. But I'm a little bit concerned about if it doesn't capture the public imagination, 
where will that go? You know, I don't want that interest to fade. So while I'm really excited about the Nike ad and about, you know, the various, I feel like every billboard I see at the moment features the lionesses, which is incredible. You know, it's really exciting. We never would have seen that a few years ago. But I'm so, so willing us to do well, purely to capture the public imagination in that organic way, in the way if you've got your mates, we're all going to watch England, it's a sunny day, or Scotland. I'm sorry, JJ. We're all going to watch Scotland, it's a sunny day, cloudy day. It's a nice day. We're all going to have a nice time. You know, it's not just Nike selling me some trainers and it's got a lioness on it, so they're doing their bit for equality. It's actually everybody getting involved, everyone getting behind this team, teams, I'm doing really well. Um, and getting excited in that, you know, that organic community way. Yeah, let's hope so. A lot uh, resting on England, it feels like. I think everything is just going up for women's football. I don't think, if, if, I think it will capture the, the imagination of the public because it will be on TV and people will see it. And it will be on in bars, I would have thought. I couldn't believe it wouldn't be. It's it's free content for a bar to then have a reason to bring people in. And that will absolutely help. It's going to be on TVs at home. People are going to watch that. If you look at just the the attendances of women's football around the world, it keeps going up and up and up. Like it's got like Hamden the other day, four times record attendance. That's massive, and uh, I think it's just going to be great. And the other thing, the reason it'll purely keep going over, even if the World Cup doesn't capture women's imagination, is that a lot of companies are well on board with uh, long-term strategies to make money out of women's football. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, even if it's not the best tournament of all time, there's no way it'll be the last one that is pumped full of advertising money. And uh, that means it will just be in the public eye for a lot longer. And I think the coverage as well, I think dead right, that's exactly what... The more coverage you have, the more you are au fait with who the players are and what's going on with them. And so you recognise why that person's been bad in that game and why that person's been bad Or even just there. seeing a couple of the lionesses in the top tab of a newspaper as you're in the news agent, or yeah. if you're on yeah. the BBC News website, you know, seeing those, those those little reminders that it's going on. And I really hope that young kids are encouraged to get involved. And I really hope schools are encouraging primary and secondary kids to watch the games and to get involved because it's a great excuse to spread the word about women's football and, you know, encourage kids to be fit and healthy. You know, let's let's kind of take that message through as well. A great excuse to briefly stop worrying about your physics GCSE. <laughs> Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Charlie Gowans Eglinton, The Telegraph's senior fashion editor and host of the Fashion Unzipped podcast. Every other week, I sit down with some of the biggest names making waves in the fashion industry, from Trini Woodall to Instagram's Eva Chen to Samantha Cameron. And I drag our team of fashion experts here at The Telegraph into the studio to tell you all about our favourite trends, the talking points of the moment and our view from the front row. We can't dress you every morning. It's just not really how podcasts work. But we can give you half an hour of inspiration every other Thursday. Just search Fashion Unzipped wherever you download your podcasts. Alongside me now in the audio recording facility, it's the nation's first and best <laughs> full-time women's football reporter, our very own Katie Wyatt. How are you, Katie? I'm all right, are you okay? Yes, I'm well, thank you. You're gearing up, obviously, to go to... The Women's World Cup, you have the honour of attending it for the Telegraph this summer. Um, tell me about who the main contenders are, Katie. Who, who are we most expecting to reach the final, if not necessarily win it? Um, I think France are probably the favourites, to be honest. Not just the fact that it's their, um, their own country, so they're the home nation and everything, and all the expectation and the benefits that come with that, but also the fact that it's just like an, an all-star Lyon team, that when you look across that, um, team, so many of that squad play together week in, week out at Lyon, who have just won their six, uh, six successive, or is it four successive Champions League? Something ridiculous. So you're looking at such a wealth of talent in that squad. I can't see past them doing really, really well. Germany are a team in transition. I think they've just um, 
had their head coaches only been in for four or five games, so not necessarily had the same amount of time to work with them. But um, just have been a really formidable force in women's football for years and years and have some really special players. The US as well, um, you can never look past them because of what they have achieved in women's football. Again, loads of star players, Alex Morgan, Carly Lloyd, Megan Rapinoe. So it's um, it's going to be, I would say, the main three, probably those plus England, um, who I think are just kind of, not as good as Phil Neville thinks they are, but I think they're in there. Um, but I think it's an interesting year. You've got a lot of teams in transition, a lot of teams where um, things are kind of up in the air. So I don't think you've got obvious standout favourites as much as you do or teams that you can expect to walk it. But I certainly think you've got three or four or five that you would expect to put on a really good show. Going back to America, it feels like they're the perennial favourites mm. in these tournaments. They seem to always be there or thereabouts. Um, I believe it's three wins of this tournament in their history. Or Correct me if I'm wrong, Katie. But... They're quite an aging team, aren't they? For mm. some of those stars you mentioned, they're kind of you know uh, early to early to mid thirties, getting on a bit. Is that going to work against them, or will it be a case of the experience coming through and being important for them in France? A bit of both. I mean, you look at England in the last World Cup. You it's, it's funny to think about it now. What Nikita Paris nowhere near the senior England team. Fran Kirby just and that was her kind of tournament debut and really burst onto the scene after that. Um, so they're different to England in that these players that have. have they've got in their team have been stalwarts and stars of their team for quite a long time but it's it's interesting as well because they're obviously in the middle of this pay dispute with their federation where they're asking for better pay better conditions they've filed a lawsuit a gender discrimination lawsuit against their federation so um, whether that would be a distraction going into the tournament or whether that's something that they'll put to one side and ignore and won't have any bearing on anything it's difficult to judge I think their build-ups felt a little bit more checkered than it has in previous years when they've kind of just been this all-conquering US team that have swept everything before them and you saw that in America you know they came unstuck against England and it was just kind of level um, it was just like a standard boxing match and then a chess match it was just blow then tactical move then blow from each side so it was really really evenly matched and closely contested so I'm not sure if they're the force that they once were but I think you'd just be foolish to write an American team off Yeah they're not the only team with some distractions off the pitch Norway mm. are without the best player in the world is that right? Yeah it's a strange one obviously Arda Hedeberg who people will know in the first ever women's Ballon d'Or winner who was famously asked her if she can twerk and then she said very dignifiedly no I can't and then walked off um, and she is in the middle of a dispute with her federation where she retired to all intents and purposes from her federation 2017 Um over what she perceived as unfair treatment. And I think since then, the Federation have stepped up and are paying their um, national, um, international male and female footballers the same. But there's still a lot of things. I think it's she's not been specifically outlining what her grievances are. I think some of it is a pay thing, which has now been resolved, but might sort of persist in bonuses. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but I think a lot of it is to do with the conditions domestically and Norway is not a great place to play football. So there's a huge problem with attendances are really... Um, down there sometimes you've got games just in double figures the attendance is so games are so sparsely attended you've got issues with women having to play indoors because sometimes the pitches are not great in winter and stuff like that so the whole sort of climate for women's football there I think the federation felt that they were doing enough but Ada clearly didn't feel like they were so that's a massive sticking point for her and it's a real shame that we're not going to see one of the world's best players at the tournament this summer. Looking through the groups, Katie, uh, normally in the Men's World Cup, you have the very obvious group of death, but there isn't really one in the women's tournament. Why is that? 
Um, yeah, I think it's a few things. I think the way that the draw works in women's football and the way that it's seeded and stuff, you don't have it. You would never have a situation where you had like America, England, Germany, all in the same group. I think some groups are trickier than others. I think England have got a difficult group. I think Australia have a difficult group. I think Germany as well. Um, but it's mainly it's to do with sort of the disparities in funding across women's football, which is sort of very similar to the men's game. And certain you have countries in men's football and you look at the World Cup and you think they'll be very lucky to get out of the group because that's just the way the game works but in those disparities I think are a little bit more pronounced in women's football and you see sometimes it's changing now with Nigeria and South Africa and the reggae girls at the World Cup and stuff and you think that you know if these teams get out of the group will be a massive massive step forward for them and will be a huge achievement but also you've got to look at histories where we've seen in previous World Cups teams being beaten 10 Eight nil, you know, it's ridiculous score lines, and it's just a little bit more pronounced in the women's game, as you see in qualifying. England rolled teams over because we're still in a position where women's football isn't a fully, you know, England are one of the only professional leagues in the world. Um, Argentina, who are England's Group D opponents, have just um, announced that one of their leagues are going to be start playing players professionally for the first time. So you've seen these step forwards um, in certain countries, but it's still sort of quite. The support that um, some countries get from their federation can be quite piecemeal and then how seriously men's clubs take the league or how seriously other clubs take the league is kind of split across different countries where some take it seriously and some don't. So it sort of prevents certain countries from having the sort of upstart that they need to have a successful women's team but then it also sort of prevents this group of death scenario where you're seeing, you will see loads of teams knocked out at once. Tell me about the tournament in general, Katie. You've been in your current job for about a year now. Does it feel like it's all been building up to this World Cup? And and how, do you get a sense that this is going to be like a real moment for women's football? Is the, is the enthusiasm growing? Yeah, definitely. It's been really weird looking back because I thought the World Cup has kind of, I've been finding my feet for the first year and getting used to certain things and experiencing it like the tube. I'd never experienced a tube before I got this job and uh, the tube is wonderful. Um, <laughs> You've spoken like a real northerner it's, it's brilliant. The, the fact is that you can't really get lost on it as well. If you get lost on Northern Rail, you could end up in... <laughs> In Manchester or anywhere, and on and one of those trains that on aren't really tube. trains. Yeah, and then on the on the tube, you just go in a straight line, and you can't get lost, and it's great. Um, which I discovered, I ended up going all the way to Brixton, and was like, "Oh, that's the wrong end of the Victoria line." So I just sat on, and it took me back, and it was great. Anyway, I digress. Um, but yeah, so I've been sort of trying to find my feet and stuff. So the World Cup has kind of been this thing on the horizon that I not really thought about that much. Um, and then as it sort of got closer and like you say, you reflect on the year, it hasn't been building up to this and it has felt like a real shift year of women's football that you've had obviously me being hired, but then you've had Barclays coming on board with a massive sponsorship deal, Visa doing the same, the first ever women's Ballon d'Or, TV rights being sold for huge uh, sums of money. So it's felt, you've sort of been looking and it's gradually happened that you've had these massive milestones in the past year building up to the World Cup year. So it does feel like a huge, huge moment and a huge landmark. I think what the interesting thing be from England's perspective is in 2015 I don't think they were sort of prepared for how well the tournament took off over here I don't think they expect England to medal but obviously they did I don't think they expected the public to respond in the same way as they did and for them to get so attached to the teams and so interested in them to, for as many people as had watched it to have engaged with it in that way and I think they were sort of the FA was sort of taken aback a little bit by how interested and invested the public were and I think when it came to promoting it there was a fairly feeble thing about go and watch the Lionesses at their club games but then you didn't see attendances sort of sustained or anything after that whereas I think this year the FA have been talking so enthusiastically about this tournament for so long and their whole game plan for growth is sort of hinged on England doing really well so they've seen 
from discussions with them, you can see they have a whole plan in place for what happens if England do well, um, or anything, especially if England win, of things that they're going to implement and things that should hopefully take off. So, yeah, as I understand it, the whole thing is not contingent on them winning the tournament. It's not like they don't win or they don't do well and all that goes to port. That's very much stuff that they're going to try and implement no matter how well England do. But it feels like they're really primed for success and primed to take advantage of the interest more than they were four years ago. Let's hope so. All right, we'll leave you now, Katie. You can get back on the Victoria line and continue (laughs) travelling up and down methodically. Let's finish off with a quickfire round, which is titled on my script, Hopes, Dreams, Quickfire Round. There you go. Uh, Let's start with you, JJ. What are you most excited about at this World Cup? Um, I'm most excited about Scotland-England reversing that 6-0 and Scotland has been good at football in a tournament. Same question, Ella. Where's your excitement? I am excited to see us get back on the form that I saw in the documentary that I didn't see in the warm-up game on Saturday. I want to see us get a ton of goals. I want to have that moment where I'm screaming at the telly in a very, very good way. Excellent. Kate? I'm looking forward to seeing our best team. I'm looking forward to seeing the new players, newer players, exciting players for England, like Georgia Stanway, Millie Bright in defence as well. I'm looking forward to seeing them. Leah Williamson's another one that we've mentioned already today. I'm looking forward to seeing them do their best on the international stage. Right, we're going to reverse the order for question two. One player who you are really looking forward to watching this summer? Khadija Shaw, Jamaica's young superstar, will be awesome. Uh, She's nicknamed Bunny, literally because she had buck teeth when she was younger uh, and it's it's stuck with her. Um, Played against Scotland um, at Hampden and we we saw what she's capable of. She's such a gifted striker. She's got such, such perception and knowledge behind what she's doing. She's very young. She plays college football over in the US and in fact she's going to be up for grabs after this tournament. Um, she has a backstory of um, huge tragedy in that she's lost her brothers um, to gang violence um, and although she wanted to go back home, her parents told her not to, told her to focus on the football. So even with all that going on in the background, she's been able to produce these really exciting, thrilling performances. And if you want a young player to latch onto and a young, exciting team that are all about the goals, Khadija Shaw and Jamaica. I'm 100% in. Can you beat that, Ella? Player you're most looking forward to watching? Oh, I'm going to try. I was going to mention Georgia Stanway because I'm just for some reason, you know, when someone captures your imagination, it's been her. But I will give a shout out to Beth Mead because... My mum, when we got to this game on Saturday, you know, bear in mind, she's not engaged really with football that much at all in the past, let's say, 40, 50 years. We're sitting there watching all the players warming up. Like, oh, mum, look, there's, uh, there's um, you know, there's uh, Ellie uh, Ellen White and there's, you know, there's Georgia Stanway. She's like, yeah, 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 whatever. Beth Mead comes along. Oh, my God, it's Beth Mead. So excited because she'd read one article about Phil Neville's sort of big choices for his strikers. And she just latched on to this name, Beth Mead, saying that someone had said she was too nice or something and she had to sort of get tougher. But... I think she's great. And having watched, actually, she's a couple of her fantastic goals are featured in the documentary we just discussed. And yeah, I think she's great. So for my mum, I'm going to say Beth Mead. She's Brilliant. also the founder of The Crot, by the way, the, the Cross Come Shot. So if you want to hear or hopefully see more of The Crot... It's a good idea oh, to keep... yeah, she scored a yes. brilliant crop, didn't she? Yes. Yes. Believes Cup. yes, and she scored one against Liverpool, I think, in the league as well. So get on the crot, everyone. Do we, need to, crot. do we need to put an explicit content rule on this now? <laughs> We've said crot so much, Elliot. As long as there's no S before. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> JJ, who have you got? Play you're most looking forward to. Um, I have to go with two. Uh, so Lika Martins, I think, is unbelievable fun to watch. Uh, she plays... She has so much skill. She's like a... Like, it's a very uh, cheap, lazy uh, thing to do, but she's like Cruyff on the wing. So she, she does all these Cruyff turns and 
is great with her first touch. She's just amazing, fun to watch. But also Marta of Brazil um, does unbelievable things with the ball, like kills it dead and then does flip flaps and then does like rainbow flicks over her head all in the same game. She's good. And then also we've mentioned it before, but Erin Cuthbert of Scotland, I really like, and Kim Little as well. Just the four there then. Is this Martha's last World Cup, Kate? It should be. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Polar opposite opinion well, look, Kate there. She could be like Formiga, who plays for Brazil also, and is um, at her record-breaking seventh World Cup. She's 41, Formiga. Um, Marta, right, she is not particularly on form at the moment. She's struggled for goals. However, she's totally capable of turning it on. And with her pedigree, I would suggest that maybe she has been keeping it on the down low, getting over those injury niggles and those issues on form ahead of this tournament. Because if it is going to be her last, she's going to go out with a bang, right? Right, this is the most important question I'm going to be asking today. Who has got the best kit at this World Cup, Ella? Well, Nigeria coming in a strong second because that kit's just great. But it's got to be the France polka dots. Because when have you seen a polka dot football kit? This could be showing up my knowledge and you could be like, uh, actually, 1982. But I just think, I said to Tom before we started recording, and this could be a very controversial statement, but France often the best dressed team at a tournament. You know, you may not want to like them in both the men's and the women's game. Sometimes, I mean, they're a natural sort of England's natural opponents, I would say. France, right? It's a historical battle. The Italians, by the way, are being dressed in Emporio Armani. Oh, well, that's so, just, that's so, just showing off. So they're off. going to be rocking up in France not looking the, on the pitch. The no, not for the games. <laughs> they've, got the, they've got the same kit as the men's, which I think is so disappointing. Yes, but, but as in their uh, match suits, right, okay. I yeah. suppose. But uh, anyway, sorry, Ella. Really nice tracksuits. Go on, Kate. Who's got the best kit? I love the England away kit. Oh, and I love very it. Rosy. Yes, yeah. lots of roses kind of embossed or emblazoned all uh, over it. Sublimated, I, well, I believe, actually, is the term. Well, <laughs> So talking of that, if you go onto the uh, the, uh, the FA's website, apparently it's rendered in a dark red crush. Now, I'm not sure how you render in a crush. Um, it sounds like an ice cream but or that's, But that's what it's been described as. Um, this on the back of the fact that we were still using the men's kit five or ten years ago. Yeah, So it's totally awesome that we've got this specially designed kit in this exclusive darker colour for the England women so I'm excited about that I do also love the polkas I yeah. do I do really like the um, the France away kit as well don't love the Australia one I have to say or the German one that's just Germany oh. isn't it Germany home is the best one is that your answer JJ Germany home yeah that or the I like the France away the Scotland away is good the pink one. Oh yeah I'm and I thought Australia was quite cool as well I like, mm. I like Australia mm. one. no I didn't, well, I didn't like that you're going to have to wait uh, a couple more days before the definitive ranking is out which is of course my own ranking of the kits which will be with you on the Telegraph Sport website <laughs> King of fashion. by Thursday at the absolute latest absolutely <laughs> right business end of the questions who do you want to win this World Cup Kate? Oh god well of course my heart says England but actually I would really like France to do it on home soil mm. Ella? England Yep no questions no. there JJ Scotland. surprise me Scotland okay. <laughs> Thank you very much and now a slightly harder question who do you actually think is going to win the World Cup, JJ? I think home advantage is really important and France have some fantastic individual players, so I'd have to go for France. Ella? I'm probably going to agree with JJ there, yeah. Mm. It's been done before. And Kate? It's a tough one, um, but let's look at the USA as well. Ranked mm. number one, although they had you know a slightly dodgy She Believes performance, um, I you just look at the names in that team and when you get to this big tournament stage um, 
they will just not go wrong. Jill Ellis, their coach, hugely experienced. Um, they have got quite a big diversity between the experienced players and the inexperienced players. But look, women's football has been cemented within education and within life, I suppose, over in America for so long. They've got the expertise there to do it. And, and look, they, they, they will also be great to watch. Do you think their fans are going to go in, in big numbers? The Americans love France, don't they? <laughs> That's great to have a trip to the continent. <laughs> That's all for this special preview episode of Audio Football Club. We'll be back with you on Monday, wrapping up both the Men's Nations League and England's first game in the Women's World Cup. You can contact us on email at afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk. We'll read out the very best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You have to look for Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts and take it from there. 100% backing you to do that very well indeed. Thanks to Elliot Lampe and Theodora Leloudis on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.